You're listening to Education Experts with EDX Education. Education is evolving. Join Heather Welch from EDX Education chatting with teachers, psychologists, parents, authors, creatives and other talented experts to keep up with the trends and what's happening from around the globe. This podcast series from EDX Education discusses home learning, school readiness, being creatives, changing in education, discussing what's next, hands-on learning, or as we like to say, learning through play. Welcome everyone, I'm Heather Welch from EDX Education and today I'll be in conversation with Dawn Rigby, author, early years teacher and lecturer. Dawn is an educator passionate about early years education, growth and development. Her recent book with Deborah Hastings is Making Play Work in the Early Years Settings, Tales from the Sandpit. She believes that young children need a special environment in which they grow and deserve to have practitioners who are inspiring, dynamic, reflective and passionate about their learning. In a positive environment, children thrive and grow, adopting positive attitudes to learn learning. And the primary way to support this is inspiring and motivate, motivating those who teach. Today, we are chatting with Dawn about her latest book, Passion for Play and Trends in the Early Years Settings. Welcome, Dawn. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. Dawn, can I ask you to introduce your passion for play-based learning? Yes, indeed. So I think play is a very interesting word. It's a term that's widely used in early years, but it's actually really difficult to define. And I think that's got a lot to do with the fact that we all have slightly differing views on what play actually is. And I often think what what my view of play is might be different to yours, Heather, and yours would be different to somebody else. It's quite a difficult one. So I think for me, play is about happiness for those children and joy for the children, but also freedom. And that's really important. Freedom to choose, freedom for them to be creative and also for them to be imaginative. So I'm really passionate about play in the early years because over the years, I've really begun to understand that 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 is the way that children learn. Children learn through play and it provides them with some control over their choices, which is so empowering. You know, with with childhood, they have very little choices. They're all made for them by adults. So to have a choice in what they would like to do in their play is really empowering. It's really important for them. I think as well, my passion for play has been greatly influenced by Frederick Froebel. Some people get all a bit scared by pioneers of play but, and theory, but I really love it because I find it really helps me. And I love the fact that he believes that play is fundamental to children's development. That's a key for me. And that they should be allowed to be children. And that way they're expressing themselves through play. And I just find that really, really fascinating. Ch- child development is so important that you've got practitioners who understand child development and what's going on with those children in front of them. And I love the idea of children being able to express themselves through play. So engaging in play with children, that gives me a lot of joy. So that fuels the passion that I have for it. But having time to actually play with the children, rather than maybe encouraging them to come and have a go at an activity of my choice, 
it reminds me why I chose this profession you know that the joy that I get from playing with children I think yeah this is why I got into into working with children and I think as well the idea that I have that children really are individuals with their own their own thoughts their own ideas and their own passions and they know what interests them they know what excites them and really it's up to me to find out what those interests and those passions are and that's where play comes in that's really where play opens up because you understand and learn about those children in front of you so I think really that's where my passion for play comes from it always comes from the children and it's the it's the emotions that they go through and watching them and the frustration it's everything when you watch I know when I watch my own children for example my four-year-old can be building something amazing but you should see the frustration if it doesn't work and he has to go through all yeah. these emotions but he does get there in the end but you kind of get the you know the concentration and then it falls and you get the cross and it was whether he brings himself <laughs> back and then gets through the next process is the really of play is really interesting but you know how you're saying that you know our terminology for what play it is different for everyone so mm. I always think yeah. about it as you know opportunities to explore and experiment so the way it is yes. the way that for play-based learning for me so you know for example I could yeah. set up a sand tray or water play tray or anything yeah. like that which my kids have ice water all those sort of things and um you know I could set it up with a whole theme or actually I generally just put a few things that they can pour and then they choose their toys that goes in there or if they can go in there sometimes they probably shouldn't <laughs> but they do go in there <laughs> you know we do explore and experiment sometimes we realize that that one won't be coming mm. back out <laughs> yes <laughs> but it is really interesting is true play is different for everyone and it is the yeah. um so it's really nice but I know that recently the, you know you've been for over a decade you've been an early years teacher practitioner uh, uh, lecturer and I'd love to hear about how did you first you know come into this profession well in a, in a roundabout way I'd done I'd completed a degree in English and history they were my passions at school and I hadn't really thought about teaching at all and uh, I was working in various different professions and my stepmother was uh, working in a school and I went to just lend a hand one day um, had some free time went to lend a hand and I found that for some reason, I was able to connect with the children. They seemed to respond to me positively. And I actually found that I really enjoyed that. So I went from thinking, I never want to work with children to, oh, actually, <laughs> this could be something I'd, I'd enjoy. And I was then offered a job at this particular school. I wasn't sure about it because it wasn't what I was doing at the time. It wasn't what I wanted to do, but I thought, no, no, I'm, I'm going to go for it. I wasn't, didn't really have a lot of joy in what I was doing. So I thought, let's give it a go. And my first job was to work with a child who was going through the statementing process. And it was to make her feel positive about school. So it was to try mm. and help with all of that emotional development for her. And that was where it started really I really enjoyed it I loved working with her I loved the sense of achievement I got from working with her seeing her achieve small things was fantastic seeing that spark suddenly happen or um, as she started to feel more positive about school to, to, to build more positive relationships with her peers I just thought this is fantastic I can't think of another job where I would get so much satisfaction. So from that moment onwards, I decided I was going to train 
to uh, to be an early years teacher and, and that that's that's where we were that's where we where we started but there's also two strands to my teaching so I'm still an early years teacher and I still work in early years I've actually been working in early years for over 20 years probably about 25 years obviously (laughs) (laughs) that obviously sort of ages me slightly so (laughs) maybe we won't mention that too much I just said decade I thought (laughs) yeah (laughs) sounds better for me doesn't it but since 2010 I've also been an early early years lecturer and that's another role that I just sort of fell into I was doing some assessing because at that point, I thought I could, I could do a bit more than just teaching the children. Um, I, I could offer some, some guidance and support to other, well, to students, to people who want to come into the profession. I felt I had something to offer to them. So I was working as an assessor. I trained to be an assessor and I was working to be an assessor, going into settings and assessing the students on the job. And that's great because I'm quite nosy. So I loved to see what was going on in all the other settings. And from then I got offered a job as a, as a lecturer at the college where I was assessing. So I just sort of fell into that as well. And I found I really enjoyed it with, with both age groups, really, those very young children and then those teenagers. It was very different, but just as rewarding and just as challenging. So, um, so yeah, that's what's, what's been happening with that. And at the moment, I work three days a week at a college where I teach level three and um, also hoping to do some degree teaching. I did some degree teaching about four years ago, and that was lovely, working with adults. Um, so I'm hoping to go back and do that again as well. It's so lovely to hear that, because as a lecturer, sometimes you don't have, you sort of, you step away from the actual day-to-day settings, yeah. and you, so you don't have, and you sort of, it's really nice to still be in there to be able to have, to be, you know, seeing how it's working. And then when you're talking about the case studies, you're actually thinking about all the different things you're still currently doing which I know so that's yeah and that's what's really important for me actually is that you know I can stand up in front of them I mean on Wednesday and we'll be teaching whatever topic it is and I know I can stand up in front of them and I understand what's been going on with them they're in they're in their own placements on a Monday to Tuesday so they come in on a Wednesday full of stories about what's been happening to them (laughs) and I I will have also been in setting those days so it's great. I can I can totally empathise and understand where they're coming from. But also when I'm teaching a specific topic, you know, we can discuss it together, you know, our own experiences in practice. And I think that that's important to me that I can stand there and do that. You know, they they can listen to me, obviously, and they respect what I have to say. But the fact I'm actually doing it as well is really helpful. Plus, as you say, it's important to me that I keep up to date and that I'm relevant. Otherwise, I feel a bit of a fraud if I wasn't doing that. I know, and it's nice for them to know that you still have these same experiences because you do. I mean, when you work in early year settings, sometimes you end up working in all parts. You have to deal with different, I mean, we say stakeholders in business, but really it's parents. You deal with parents, you deal with everyone. It's not It's not as simple as it seems at times. I can definitely no. vouch for that. But talking about this, I want to talk, I, want to, I would love to know the latest the inspiration on your latest book when I first saw your book I assumed that you lived on the beach or somewhere exotic because <laughs> the title ended with tales from the sandpit and I'm thinking oh, she must live you know on the beach somewhere anyway I'd love to hear about your latest book yeah well always the children are my inspiration that's always been true and it's it's still true now and the tales from the sandpit I mean <laughs> I actually grew up on Hailing Island so oh, I grew up you? on the beach. So maybe, yeah, I did. I grew up on the beach and 
um, I learned to swim in the sea on, on Hailing Island. And also one of my flats that I lived in when I was at university, my back garden was the beach. So I think it's in there somewhere. It's in my DNA. But oh. it really comes from our fantastic sandpit at, at preschool. Oh, fantastic. Do you know, Dawn, I have to tell you, actually, I row on Hailing Island. That's my local rowing. Do you? Yes, I do. Oh, wow. (laughs) It was such a fantastic place to grow up. It really was. As a child, my goodness, it was amazing. And to have the beach as your pretty much your back garden. It was the best. A sandy beach too, which is really nice. As an Aussie, (laughs) I think it's really nice. Lovely. Yes, yes. Now, with with your book, I mean, in the book, sorry, Mm. you were discussing the journey that you had as a setting within the moment planning. I mean, when I studied 20 plus years ago as a teacher, this wasn't wasn't really a widely discussed concept in Australia. I mean, Mm. I'm not sure if it was in the UK, but can you tell us a little bit more about this? this concept because for me it sounds brilliant because it's absolutely more focused on the child rather than you know their needs and wants rather than always chasing your tail with paperwork and all of this and trying to set up the perfect setting which isn't necessarily perfect for everyone it's kind of allowing it a little bit more free flow yeah well I think in the moment planning it it isn't anything new to be honest it's it's what us as practitioners have been doing always Um, It comes very naturally to us to work in this way. And it's certainly something that parents do all the time. And and you will know that with with your own (laughs) children. And you're you're not constantly planning for this particular learning outcome at home, are you? It's it's whatever happens naturally. That's in the moment parenting. (laughs) It is. It is completely. And that's that's absolutely what in the moment planning is all about. And it comes from Anna F. Grave, who she's the Bible. She absolutely is. Her book is is fantastic. And I would advise anybody who's starting their journey to, to make a start with her book because it details nice and clearly what it is. So you know you you start from the child that's the key you start from the child you go from their interests it's still planning using the planning cycle so you're still doing that observing assessing and planning but you're doing it in a different way you're doing it in that moment so if we think about it you observe a child's show an interest in something whatever that may be you assess what it is that they need to learn in that moment so you, you plan what you're going to teach them or what you feel they're going to learn from it. And then you assess what that outcome is. What have they learned from you? What have they learned from the activity? So it's suited to each unique child in that unique moment. So you're just going in the moment. You're doing all the things you would normally do, but right then, yeah. right there and now, when it's of most meaning and value to that child or children so they start to feel valued which is really really important and the really wonderful thing for us as as practitioners and teachers when we're planning in the moment is that because you're not focused on outcomes because you're not focused on paperwork you're focused on the child and the process you've got time to spend interacting with them playing with them so you're developing those really strong relationships and really really getting to know them rather than spending all your time planning in advance so if you think about it what you're doing is you're you're playing with the children you plan as you go you plan spontaneously and you're being led by the child so it sort of gives the child more I mean look in my head it's it's you give the child more choices and it's less direct instruction yes Yes, very much so. But but that doesn't mean that, that the role of the adult is suddenly oh, no, 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 very no. passive. 
no no it's you know you you are in you're observing and seeing are you needed can you add something to that play of value if you can then you get involved and you're looking for teachable moments you'll be sprinkling higher level thinking skills over the top of that play giving them new vocabulary and language posing and wondering with the children so that they're problem solving and thinking things through but you are going from that child so really you've got them stimulated and motivated to learn already because we're always going to be that way when it's something we're interested in aren't we this is looking at mastery really it's looking at mastery of a is would it be more looking at mastery of the skills and things like that like instead of just looking at the baseline of it you actually go quite in depth with the higher level questioning why they're doing an activity I think you judge it on the individual oh, yeah. circumstance yeah. and absolutely there is opportunity for that. I always say to be really careful with questions because questions by their very nature can be stressful. So yeah. there's always that sense of, oh, I might be right, but hang on a minute, I might be wrong. And even as an adult, I'm very, very conscious of that. I'm conscious of it with my students. You know, if I see them looking down, desperately not catching my eye, <laughs> I know there's some anxiety there. <laughs> so we would be more pondering oh um I wonder what might happen if we then did such and such or oh I wonder what would happen if we um looked at it this way or what about if we try this and then you're more engaging in chat with the child but you're you're demonstrating to them that you don't actually have all the answers that they've got a say too and that again is hugely empowering for children hang on a minute uh, uh, you know I've got the answer to this and Dawn doesn't necessarily know that's brilliant. We can work it through together. And that's the beauty of it, I think. That's very true. My son always, we, we do a lot of open-ended play, like there's no right or wrong. Mm. It's just a continuous cycle, especially with building mm. and everything like that. And he always he always says to me things like, mummy, this is a chain reaction. Can you look at it and show me something where he's building something <laughs> and knocks it down? And, but it's his little, it's his little, it's his language. It's how he's learned over the time of what, yeah. what he believes is a chain reaction. And then he'll say to me something mm. like, it's like electricity coming from the sun onto that person's house, mummy. So that's like a reaction. So like this, and he'll knock a, he'll knock a building down. <laughs> it's just, you know, it's his interpretation, which, you know, there, there yeah. is some there is some sense to it sometimes and sometimes <laughs> you know but yeah. it's, it is quite interesting but look if you're I know you've gone through in your latest book you went through the mm. process of changing uh, you were saying it's a pack mm. away setting so there were some things yes. um, some challenges but you were mm-hmm. saying that you did go through the, to change the in the moment planning do you and if you are another, do you want to talk about some of the lear- things you learned and things that maybe went yeah. right, went horribly wrong or went hor- amazingly <laughs> right? You know, there's always <laughs> anything, any change, there's always both. <laughs> oh, gosh, absolutely. Well, I think the first thing is to say that you've got to make sure that everybody is on board with the yeah. vision, that they understand the vision. So probably the first step is you're going to have a conversation about it talk it through make sure that everybody understands what your idea is and that they then share it so then training is really important we went on quite a bit of training um myself and deborah went on some training that anna f grave gave which was fantastic to actually hear her and and look at settings that were working in that way that very visual connection was was helpful so that we then ran a pilot in the summer term before we fully implemented the in the moment planning in the September. And that was really, really useful because then you can see, right, this is going to work really well. 
this is going to go well. We we all feel really comfortable with this. But then those challenges that will will come up and a lot of challenges will come up as you start to go through the process that you won't have considered at the beginning. So to run a little pilot was was so helpful because you can go, okay, hang on a minute. This isn't working at all. We're going to have to change this or perhaps we didn't quite understand this part of in the moment planning. And one of the things that didn't go quite so well in the beginning was the idea of focus weeks and observations. We were perhaps in the mindset of we've got to write um, hundreds and hundreds of observations because that's what is expected of us whereas in actual fact that's not what it's expected at all there is no set amount of observations you have to write and just because you're not writing down something that you've observed that has happened doesn't mean it hasn't happened doesn't mean that you aren't aware of it and I know that you could go into any setting and ask those staff members tell me about that child over there and they'd all be able to do it because we're using our professional judgment. So we mm. definitely spent far too much time writing at the beginning. It felt really scary to step away from that and to respect our professional judgment a lot more. So we've, we've worked on that and we still, every now and again, we're still writing too much. It's, it's definitely a journey. I don't think we're ever gonna get to the end of it because children, things change when new children come in. I always sort of say what, what works in, September may well not be working now and probably won't be working come July so you've always got to be looking at your children observing your children and checking your environment so it helped us to the, the pilot helps us to understand the process and it also really demonstrated to us the impact that it had on the children and I think that's what surprised us the most but but really appealed to us the most because they loved it they reacted so positively yeah. to it that we, we just knew, we just knew it was right. We knew it was right. Parents, they're crucial. Yeah. So they've got to be, yeah, they are. They've got to be involved again, right from the start. They've got to understand the reasons that you're moving to in the moment planning. They really need to understand the benefits for their child because that's what's important to them. They want their children to be happy. And so they can see that. So again, we offer training. I ran training for the parents. So I went through it all. They were able to ask me any questions. They could raise any concerns and we would talk through that and also invite them in. It's been challenging with um, COVID, but things are getting better with that now. So in inviting the parents in so they can see it happen. I'm a very visual learner. It's really important for me to be able to see something and just keep talking, keep talking with your staff, keep talking with your parents. Because you're, you know the children best, you know your setting best, so your best place to, to work through any challenges that come up and to not beat yourself up about that because you're learning all the time. So Dawn, with your setting, did you, over a period of time, like was it over a period of two to three years that it actually implemented or was it something that you could do yes. quite quickly? Yeah. We, we did it quite quickly in that, so we ran the pilot for the term leading up to the September and then we went boom, started in the September. But I would say we've probably adapted as we've gone because just like every child is, is an individual and unique, every setting is as well. So, you know, you have to go with your staff, you have to go with your what's available to you. So what's going to work for a purpose-built setting is perhaps going to throw up more challenges for us as a pack-away setting. So Anna mm -hmm. F. Grave talks about having your open-ended resources, which is fantastic, to be easily accessible to all of the children all of the time. And she recommends a workshop style way of having those resources accessible. Now, for us as a pack away setting, that was a challenge 
because firstly, we don't have the time to set everything out and then put it all away at the end of the session. Yeah. We've got people waiting to come in the hall, you know, after us, getting quite cross if it's not clean and tidy. But we also don't have the space to do all of that. So it's about making it work for you. Uh, uh, my book isn't in any way telling anybody what to do. It's just giving some guidance and some practical examples. And, you know, you make a start, you see what happens and you adapt it and you change it so that it works for you. There's no one size fits all at all. I think that's teaching, especially I think all teachers have learned that yeah. after the last uh, two or three years. I think it's been something one of the most yeah. flexible professions alive from being in classrooms Absolutely. and not. I mean, honestly, if you yeah. think of, yeah. I, you know, I was talking to my husband about this, you know, teaching is one of those things that you have to be so creative and especially after the last two mm. years, like I know with mm. you know, coming to online to offline, the changes, mm. making things more play-based, you know, because you do find mm. that even young you know, I've got this funny story when my youngest son was in nursery in we lived as expats overseas and we had a what was it it was like his we were leaving the country and we're going somewhere else moving to Dubai and he had this is in Singapore he had this report that came back and I think he probably was about two and a half three maybe three mm. and the report said to us well he really doesn't know how to read yet and he doesn't really like being teased and we thought oh, <laughs> there's a change in dynamics so how's it look at each other. Yeah. well I wouldn't expect him his language was delayed no, anyway, so we were thinking well I wouldn't really expect him to read he's it too <laughs> it was no. like really three it was it was quite an amazing yeah. thing because the concept was yes there was a, the attitude was well, he should why doesn't he and we're thinking mm. it's just so mm. far from where we are with him like it's yeah. more social emotional friends share mm. yeah, we were still at that stage we were yeah. nowhere near anything yeah. else well, well that's yeah. why child development is so important and practitioners that are coming in students training yeah. need to have that fundamental understanding of child development so that we do get it right that we haven't got those real unrealistic expectations for our children where we're just setting them up to fail you know we need to go from where the children are at developmentally at that point in their lives yeah and all children are different I mean you know with the children Absolutely. you've probably had over the years one mm. can be more physical mm. non-verbal one can yeah. be not physical at all and really verbal yeah others can count yeah. one to 50 but not actually know what one to 50 is you know but they can see exactly like I mean yeah. you do yeah. it is really interesting I know that you know in we've lived in different countries and the expectations been really different in countries mm. and it's it has been a really interesting when you've been teaching as well you know some countries at yeah. six or seven say okay well we now English math science you're you know set a one two three or your abc you know there's mm. just we do it quite young in some some country somewhere yeah so. that's right we that's why play is so important you know it, it it develops all of that it develops the child holistically it develops all of those skills so that by the time they're six seven they are developmentally ready for all of that more formal learning and teaching and you know they fly uh, it's it's very interesting the fact that we we're when there's perhaps a lack of understanding of just how important play is which is another reason another inspiration for writing the book you know to really advocate for it especially in the yes to advocate cases. for play yeah. absolutely it's it's just vital it's crucial 
Oh, absolutely. But, you know, it plays crucial for adults as well. So play is crucial yes. for us as adults to sometimes not take mm. life so seriously. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> and to not think of play as something silly. You know, it isn't. It's something joyful and it's beneficial. So let's celebrate it, you know. Yeah, that's very true. But do you find, you know, you've been for over a decade or so, you've been in early years <laughs> for over a decade. Has, do you believe play has changed a lot over the time you've been teaching? I don't. I don't believe play has changed at all. I think play is, is very much play. So, you know, children have an innate drive to play. It's attitudes yes, that do. have changed and is yeah. starting to change. But it, but too slowly for my liking, you know, I, I believe a lot more. <laughs> I believe a lot more is required. What I think is, is changing is that there are many of us now in early years that understand the crucial role that play is having on our children's learning and development. I don't know if you know the wonderful Greg Bottrell, who's a big influence on me. He refers to us all as play people. And I really love that. I love this idea that we're this gang of people who are advocating for play. And it's why my work that I'm doing in developing playful interactions is, is, is so important to me. But there are still many who who don't see the value of play you know they don't they don't see that it's got an important part of it I still hear about play times in early years and that that really really does concern me so we need to be moving away from that you know my students come in I said you know they, they're in placement on a Monday to Tuesday and I see them on a Wednesday and they come in and they talk to me about set activities in, in nursery settings being yeah. the predominant and and play being very much much of, of a less given less importance there's much more focus on activities with specific outcomes that are very very adult initiated and it, it's it direct makes my heart sing isn't it? it's that direct it instruction that really doesn't oh yeah dawn i understand this because I, I think i mentioned to you that we we had that with my own child my own children i had that we had an amazing mm. place really amazing every fandangle thing you could find in a nursery that you've ever mm. wanted and as an adult it just makes you think wow i wish i went there but the behaviour yeah. that exerted from my child was something I've never mm. seen. It was this cross, mm. angry, mm. stressed, anxiety. And, I, you know, I'm work full time. So the nursery is kind of yeah. a really important thing to me. But then when you pick someone up sure. and they're like that every day, you think, wow, what's going wrong? And as a mum, yeah. like, well, what have I done? Okay, less time, this, yeah. this. But actually what we did is we actually started going to a local one, a really local pack-away nursery and he mm. would come out of there, oh, my gosh, really excited. Freddie's my new friend. Miles mm. is my new friend. Did mm. you know Annabelle, I've asked this person to come over to be my really different and started drawing, doing all the things that he just stopped doing. And eventually we yeah. transferred him over. But, but it did take us a long time because we were just sort of looked around and thought, oh, this is amazing. But actually it didn't mm. work. It just it was a real it was a lot of direct instructions and a lot of here is mm. French. Here is maths here is yeah it it wasn't a crossover it was a really silo approach is a nice way to put it Mm. and children don't learn that way you know they don't have these little pockets of things they're holistic aren't they it it, it just comes and that's where all that learning that will come within their play because if they're choosing something that they're interested in yeah they're deeply engaged in it that's when your brain is working 
that's when yeah. new learning is happening. Your synapses are firing and neurons are connecting because they're deeply engaged in something. If you're constantly pulling them over, come and do this activity that I think is really important <laughs> and interesting. You know, they're like, well, they can't get into that play. They can't deeply engage in that play. And then learning isn't happening. And that's what we found, Heather, when we started the in the moment planning, because the children were able to choose, they were able to deeply engage they were respected in those choices. We didn't have all of that stress and anxiety. We didn't have that challenging mm. behavior. And I promise you, we have noticed such a reduction in challenging behavior because, because of the way that we are now. I, I really do see it. And it's, it's fantastic to see. Oh, it's no, made such a difference. I absolutely, you know, I, I can see it in my own children and how it's worked over the last yeah. you know, year. We've made this massive change for him thinking well why would why should you know this has everything and outs you know it's got all the all the reviews and everything but it just didn't mm. work I mean some children work but he no. was as a child I think you shouldn't be I mean you can come home tired but you shouldn't be coming mm. home stressed out no. as a three Good or grief, four year no. old you know it should Absolutely be you know, there could be a process and he doesn't have it he didn't have attachment or anything he's very happy not to <laughs> he's very happy to run away with not run away I mean like, to, yeah, yeah. you know I yeah. suppose the other thing is what do you believe is the most important lessons that you've learned as a teacher for other teachers as an early years teacher or even as you know managing your own early years or lecturing what's the most important things that you'd say I think probably the most important thing is well it's the children the children are the mm. most important thing going from their interests you know everything I've learned really I have learned from the children so the key to, to teaching I always feel is to listen to the children to value their thoughts and their ideas you know they're not little people that we have to fill up with everything they're individuals they they come to us with their own ideas and their own opinions their own thoughts on things and it's our job as teachers to find out what those ideas and interests are it's not for us to, to decide at that for them. That's not our job at all. So, yeah, to go from the interests of the children and that way we'll know that they'll be motivated and then they're going to be stimulated to learn, as we've just been talking about. Also, as a teacher, you don't have all the answers and that's absolutely OK. It's not a weakness at all. It's OK not to know. We just need to make sure that we find out. And there are very, very different ways that we can find out about things. And I think it's important, I, I mentioned it earlier, that children need to know we don't have all the answers, that they have a say too. And, and we, can, we can work things out together. Let's go and find out. Well, I'm not really sure about that. Let's go and find out together. As well, for, for teaching, it's important to keep up to date. Yeah. Certainly in this country, things are changing all the time things are being revised and updated so the learning is never done I'm always saying that to my students my year twos are coming to the end of their level three they're going to be qualified in a couple of months and I say to them well this isn't the end for you this is actually just the beginning you're going to need to keep yourself up to date if you're doing this profession hopefully you're interested in early years and children so stay interested be interested in the early years how can I improve my practice I'm always thinking about that you know what can I do next I'm interested in it it's my passion so podcasts like this are brilliant to listen to and so informative and, and fun as well books reading books reading articles training that's on offer Kathy Brody's got fantastic early years summit coming up 
I think it's in May, the speech and language. It's free CPD for practitioners. You know, we're yeah. so lucky. Actually, Dawn, the one so to, 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 early years does have a lot of free CPDs now online since the oh, pandemic. Yeah. There is amazing. Yeah. I mean, so many people have got some amazing things that they, their professional services that they're now talking and giving to people yeah. online. It's really important. It's I, I just think it's so invaluable. We we have to make sure we're still learning. We have to make sure we're up, we're up to date and we understand what the latest guidance is saying for us. So I think that's really important. Yeah. Dawn, what's the next adventure? I mean, you've had, this is your second Ooh. book, isn't it? This is the second. No, first book. First, okay, first, first book. book. Yes. What's the next yes. adventure? Have we got? Can we get a little clue? <laughs> <laughs> oh, sorry, that's Charlie. Bob, stop it. So um, I'm thinking about the next book, another one for early years practitioners or perhaps parents. I know a lot of um, people have said to me, oh, is, is your book suitable for parents? And I honestly have to say it isn't. It is written specifically for early years practitioners and, and students and teachers. So possibly a book for parents would be really good. I would really love to actually be working with people who are devising the new curriculums for early year students. I find that they're a bit out of date themselves at the moment. And, and some of the things I'm teaching, I sort of say, this isn't really happening anymore. This isn't what we would yeah. consider best practice. So I'd really love to do that. I've been running a couple of webinars and I've got a keynote presentation coming up in September with early education. So I would love to do some more of those. I, I'm also thinking about offering some training to practitioners in our setting where I can share my passion for play and some practical ideas because I think that would be really helpful I know I always find that really helpful so I would I would like to be able to offer that I'm also I'm I'm completing a level two neuroscience course <laughs> at the moment it, it's new that's come out from cash and I thought I teach it for level three but it's very basic so it's this new cash award that's come out. And I thought, well, I should I should be looking at that. I should be understanding what's being taught at level two. So I'll do it myself and I might learn something as well. And I hope I do. And actually, it's been great. I've been really enjoying it. So, so I'm doing that. <laughs> and I'd also this book's been great. It's been lovely to write a, a book like this, but I, I'd love to write some children's stories as well. I love to read stories to children. It's one of my most favorite things that I get to do in my job. So I'd, I'd quite like to write a children's book, but we'll see. <laughs> Dawn, you sound very busy. I think you've got a lot to think about, but I would say to your parents' book on play-based learning and understanding the concepts and why it's so important to have that free play would be a really good thing, really good yeah. thing. Because you uh, are it, right, there's lots of it out there for early years professionals. Mm. For parents, you know, there's not a huge amount on talking about the, an advocacy yeah. on play-based learning and the way you're actually developing mm -hmm. the children because some parents see it as frivolous they don't understand play-based they don't understand why I'm exactly. not got no. a one to 20 counters and you know doing that and mm -hmm. showing them rather than here's you know a bunch you hear some I don't know monster and monsters and counters or whatever it's going to be and mm -hmm. they're just throwing them around the room but then they're sorting them they're, they're patterning with them they're doing things that we didn't mm. even think they would do colors or even just mm. blocks shells anything yeah you know paint them and as we've said parents are so important aren't they yeah, parents so are crucial that they're, they're the children's first educators we we really do need them on board we we can't make any of this work if if we don't have parents understanding play and the importance of it do we so 
it's definitely something that I am I am thinking about doing. I, I would I would hope it would be useful. It definitely would be useful. Now, um, Dawn, I'm just going to let everyone know your new book, Making Play Work in Early Year Settings, is available from uh, Tales from the Sandpit, is available from Amazon. Mm-hmm. That's where I actually got yes. it. But is there somewhere else that's yes. available, other places? Um, I believe, yeah, I believe Waterstones have it. I've seen it at WH Smith, or you can get it from the publishers, which is Sage as well. Fantastic. And looking, if anyone wants to get in touch with you, if they're a teacher mm-hmm. or anything like that, can they, yes. you've got dawnrigby.com is your website. Mm-hmm. Is there any other way That's that they right. can contact? Yes, indeed. So my Facebook page, if you just look for Tales from the Sandpit, that's on Facebook. That's where I post the most, I suppose. I put on there things that have happened to me in the setting that the children have been doing, practical advice and tips. The funny things that children say to me because they always make me laugh and any articles that come up and I think, oh, that might be interesting. I'll pop that on my Facebook page and share it. I'm on Twitter as well. That's at the from the sandpit. And I'm also on Instagram. I'm on Instagram as Dawn L Rigby. Um, I don't always remember to put stuff on Instagram, but when I remember, I do put it on there. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so <laughs> so I'm pretty easy to find. I mean, if you just shove Tales from the Sandpit in your in your search, you should find me. Dawn, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us today. It's such an important thing. Play early year settings and making sure, as you say, we're training the trainers, we're training the people that are training yes. the students and we're doing it properly. Mm. So it's such a big role. Mm. It's an important role. And I'd say thank you from everyone. And we hope to chat with you soon and then to watch you. Oh, I'd grow. love and that. Also, thank you the new book (laughs) yes absolutely you've inspired me to write (laughs) thank you dawn take care there are so many exciting developments happening right now in education edx education would love to hear from you so do get in touch or subscribe to our podcast which is available on apple podbean spotify TuneIn, and so many more this podcast series is brought to you by heather welch from edx education as she'd like to say Let's create lifelong learners.